as we remain standing for the reading of God's word. Our scripture reading this morning is found in John chapter 3, 14 through 21. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, But whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen in his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community. And um, in a minute, we're going to open God's word together. But if you are, if, if, first I want to say that if you're anything like me, um, I'm sure you've been following the events in the news of what's going on in Eastern Europe over the last few days with a heavy heart. And I want to just take a second to remind us that as Christians, we are a people whose fundamental uh, confession is Jesus is Lord, which means that Jesus is enthroned over all things, all people, all nations. His kingdom is unshakable. And regardless of what happens, he's in control. And he sees all who suffer, and he strengthens his people. He strengthens his church. So I want to take a minute to pray for that, and also to pray uh, that God would, uh, through his spirit, speak to us in the preaching of his word. So let's, let's go to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we want to pray and intercede on behalf of the situation that's going on in, in Eastern Europe. Father, we, um, yeah, we, we, we have heavy hearts, and we don't know what's going to happen there. Um, Lord, but your word tells us that we are to, to, to bring all things to you in prayer, and that we are to pray for leaders and those in high positions that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life, godly and dignified in every way. So Father, we pray for President Putin, President Zelensky, and our own President Biden. Lord, may you give these leaders and other world leaders who are involved special discernment, humility, and courage to do the right thing. May truth and righteousness prevail. Or else, Lord, we pray that in your mercy you would, you would stop. Um, stop. Stop the evil. Lord, we, we thank you that you are near to the broken. And we especially, Lord, want to pray for our brothers and sisters, the church there which is suffering. Lord, be near to them, strengthen them, help them to hope in you. 
And now, Lord, as we turn to your word, would, would, you, um, would you help us to hear your voice? Lord, would you give me the right words to speak? And Lord, would we, would we um, pay attention to what you are saying to us so that we can follow you more and that you would be honored? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we come today to what is likely the most famous verse in the Bible. And whether we've grown up in church or not, or whether we've read the Bible 10 times or we've never read the Bible at all, we have, uh, we've all seen this verse referenced before. This verse has even become a cultural symbol of sorts. So you you've, may have seen it uh, behind, behind home base as you watch baseball games. Or maybe you've seen it on a football player's face. Or maybe you've seen it uh, on the posters behind the uprights at football games during extra extra point attempts. It's all over the place. It's even on signs that you pass as you walk down the street or drive down the highway. And many times if, um, it, this might be on the decline a little bit more, but I think your odds are still good. If, you, if you've ever traveled uh, t- uh, you know, to another part in the country and you're staying in a hotel, you open up the drawer that is in the stand next to your bed and you might find a Bible. And if you open up this Bible and turn to the first few pages, you might see something like this. You might see the same verse written over 20 times in different languages. Even though it's an English Bible, the publishers have chosen to include this one verse in all of the world's most common languages, so that no matter who you are, no matter what languages you speak, at the very least, you can read just this one verse in your own language. This verse, that if you, if you can't read any of the others, this is the verse you need to read. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the verse to rule all verses. So what is the deal with John 3.16? What's going on with it? Of all the beautiful verses in scripture, how is this the one that stands out the most? And we're gonna look at this verse and we're gonna look at the surrounding passage today. And what we will see is that, as is so often the case, a light shines most brightly in the darkness. And John 3.16 meets us in a dark place in the Bible, both literally and metaphorically. We see in this passage both wonderful good news, but we also see a tragedy. A tragedy that still happens all the time, even today. We see in John 3, someone who in some respects is so close to the wonderful truth of this verse, and yet in spite of that, he remains still so far away. We see someone who heard the very word of God and saw the miraculous signs but still remain lost in darkness. The question for us as we think about this is, will we find the life that John 3.16 speaks of or will we also remain in our darkness? So if you haven't already, I I invite you to turn with me to John 3. And if you need a Bible, we have some some extra Bibles in the lobby in both English and Spanish if if you need one. And as we look at today's passage in John 3, we'll see that God's life for us is the easiest and the hardest thing to receive. So last week we began looking at John 3, 
about how a man named Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and they began to converse together. And Nicodemus was a man who by, by outward appearances seemed like he would have been a shoe in for heaven. And yet, he was portrayed as being not only literally in the dark, but also spiritually in the dark, unable to enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus was telling him, you, if you want to live, you must be born again. We need a new kind of life that doesn't come from this world, but can only come from above. It's not enough to simply have breath in our lungs if we are spiritually dead. We need a new kind of life that only God can give. Will we receive this life, or will we let it pass us? God's life for us is the easiest and the hardest thing to receive. So let's break that down a bit so I can explain. God's life for us is easy to receive because God so loved the world. And that's the first thing that stands out in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. And I suspect that because we're so familiar with this verse, we've heard it so many times, it's hard for us to see just how surprising it, it is that God would love the world. John tells us a little bit about what the world's like. He begins this gospel in chapter one by telling us a little bit about the world. It's a place that God made, but something has gone wrong. And the world doesn't know God. Not even his own people know him. John describes a world as a place that is filled with darkness. And he says that when Jesus came, Jesus was like a light that shone in the darkness. And John says that the light that Jesus brought into the world, uh, that, that, that with the light, Jesus brought <laughs> into the world life. He brought life to a world that was dead and dying. And in other places, John tells us that the world is not just lost and without God, but it's actually actively opposed to and hostile toward God. To put it in our terms, the world is a dark messed up place. And on one level, if we're honest, we know this about the world. We know, it, we know that the world is often a tragic and ugly place, but sometimes I think it's hard for us to see because we don't know what to do with it. We don't want to face it. We would rather ignore it or cover it up, but the world's often a dark place. It has so, it, on the one hand, it has so much potential for light and truth and goodness and beauty and joy. The world, as, the world that we know as it ought to be, but it has come to be instead characterized by darkness and lies and all sorts of evil and ugliness and death and tragedy. This is the world as it is. And so we might expect God to hate the world, But this is precisely why this verse is so wonderful. God loved the world. It's counterintuitive to many of us in a culture where we're constantly being told that we're perfect just the way we are. In a culture that says we're worthy of love and acceptance, we can tend to forget or ignore all the ways that we're not perfect or lovely. And we try to ignore the ugliness and brokenness that's in the world. But we can't appreciate the depth of God's love if we don't see the depth to which we've fallen. 
And this is what John means when he talks about the world. And the good news is that God loves the world, not because it's lovely, but in spite of the fact that it's broken and ugly and messy. And this is really good news for us. And it says something about the richness of a love that's not bound by the limitations of how lovely or unlovely the beloved is. A love that can go beyond how unworthy the object of love is. A love that is so moved by mercy that it reaches out precisely because we are so unlovely. A love that comes from someone who is love. God so loved the world. And as John 3.16 further explains, God's love moved him to action. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And on the one hand, we might recognize in this verse a reference to how uh, we, we may go to heaven because of Jesus. But also I think we need to ask, what does it mean more specifically that he gave his son? And what does it mean to believe in him? And what does it mean to not perish but have eternal life? And in order to understand what this means, we need to back up and look at this verse. Uh, we need to back up and look at the verses that come before this verse. And in verses 14 and 15, we read, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is here referencing what to, what to us um, may, might be a rather obscure story in the Hebrew Scriptures. And it, because if you remember your Old Testament history, you might remember that many years before Jesus, the Israelites were freed from their slavery in Egypt. And then they wandered the desert for 40 years on their way to the promised land. And Jesus recalls a story from this time, which is found in Numbers chapter 21. Now, obviously, there weren't cameras back then in those days. There was no one to capture Israel's wanderings on film. But I love how the famous Bible illustrator Gustave Doré pictured this scene. So um, you'll see a a picture of that. And wandering in the desert was not a good time for Israel's history. And on one occasion, the people, as they were in the desert, they spoke out harshly against God. And the text says that God sent a plague of venomous snakes which bit the people and caused them to die. But in his mercy, God also provided a means for them to be saved from this. If only the people would look to, um, would look at a bronze serpent that was lifted up on a pole, they would live. And so in the midst of great death and darkness, there was still the hope of life. Now, I don't know if you know this, but you also need saving. Like right now, right now, you are in need of saving. And I, I know that this just sounds like religious talk, but that's, that's part of my point. I'm not sure that we really think of ourselves as being truly lost. Do we think of ourselves as perishing and dying? Do we think of ourselves as being under condemnation? You see, there's this, there's this popular view in our culture where um, we think that we're, 
we're either basically good or at the very worst, we're standing in neutral territory. And at the end of our lives, when we die, we'll, we'll find out where we stand before God. Will we be acquitted or condemned? Will we go up or down? Will we go to, to heaven or the hot place? And we may naturally believe that we only find out when we die. But according to the Bible, judgment has already occurred. And this may be surprising to us, but the Bible says that we stand condemned already. And death is our natural, current, default condition. We've all entered the story after the plague has already begun. The venom is already in us, flowing through our veins. And the pain that we feel testifies to this. So the question is not whether we will get bitten by the serpent or not. The question is now that we have already been bitten, will we live? So see what it says in verses 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. The bronze serpent and likewise Jesus were not sent into the world in order to condemn the world so that people who are already condemned would be saved and live. And Jesus is saying that just as a serpent was lifted up, that all who look to it would not perish but live, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that all who look to Jesus lifted up would not perish but have eternal life. This is how God so loved the world. And sometimes in our pain, we may wonder if God really loves us. This is how we know. This is the expression of the Father's love, which is so deep that he was willing to give his Son. And this is the expression of the Son's love, who is, so, who is, who is willing to die for a sinful, rebellious, perishing world. God loves you is not a trite thing to say. This is what it means. And this is what it means to believe in Jesus. It means to look to him as God's loving provision for you that you might live. When you see Jesus on the cross, is that what you see? If you do, the Spirit is working in you, bringing about the new birth that Jesus talked about. And so just as condemnation is not something that we wait for, but we are already under now, so this eternal life that Jesus speaks of is not just some future life that we're waiting for, but it's also something we can begin to experience now. The life that we will one day live fully with God in heaven is something that we can begin to have even, even now. The Gospel of Luke tells that as Jesus hung dying on the cross, on a cross beside him was a criminal who, who was under God's condemnation. But Luke tells us that even this criminal, because he looked to Jesus, was granted the promise of paradise. Even as this dying man hung on the cross, he began to receive eternal life. 
This powerless man shows that anyone can receive eternal life. God's life for us is the easiest thing to receive because God so loved the world. But if God's life is so easy to receive, why do many people refuse it? Our passage continues and explains that, and it says that it's because we love darkness. So God's life for us is also the hardest thing to receive because we love darkness. See what it says in verses 19 and 20. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. This means that in his, in his arrival, Jesus was the light that shined in our dark world. And in spite of all the life and, and promise of God's love that Jesus made available, still people refused it. We love the darkness. Theologian Craig Kester helpfully explains that in the Gospel of John, the, the, the idea of darkness stands for the powers that oppose God. It stands for physical and, and metaphorical death and ignorance and unbelief. These are the things that John is saying that we love. And so there's the more active ways that we love and participate in the darkness. There's, the, there's whole industries and economies at home and abroad that are built upon the oppression and exploitation of other people who are made in the image of God. And even while we may object or lament to these things in some way, we, we might not do anything about it because we benefit from it in some way. Part of us likes the darkness. And we don't want anyone to impose anything on us, not even God. So we'd rather deny him or ignore, his, ignore God or deny his existence than be accountable to him. We'd rather retreat to our darkness under the pretense that we can hide there without being seen or facing the consequences. We'd, we'd rather remain ignorant and continue in our ways and face the light. Or we say that we're living by our own truth rather than the truth. And, and sometimes when we do this, as the prophet Isaiah points out, we confuse evil for good and good for evil. Light, darkness for light and light for darkness. Bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We become so lost in darkness we don't know up from down. A friend of mine was, was telling me about, he's telling, he's telling me about a time when his brother was driving east from Wichita to Chanute. And it should have only taken him a, a couple hours at the most to drive there. But when he had still not gotten there after a couple hours, he, he looked at his GPS. And his GPS told him that he needed to turn around. But in spite of what the GPS said, he couldn't believe it. He's like, no, I know I'm going the right way. And so he continued driving several more hours until he began to see in front of him the Colorado Rocky Mountains. And it was only then when he saw the mountains in front of him that he realized and accepted the fact that that he had been driving west all through the night, not east. Sometimes even when we're wrong, we simply refuse to change. We cannot and we will not believe it. We'd rather double down on our darkness than admit we're we're wrong. 
There's something in us that would almost rather die than admit that we're wrong and turn to the light and live. I wonder about the Israelites in the wilderness. I wonder how many of the people who had been bitten and were dying from the snakes still refused to look at the bronze serpent and be healed because they preferred death and darkness to the light. Luke also tells us that on the other side of Jesus, there was another criminal on a cross. But this one, unlike the, unlike the other one, this criminal, while he hung dying on the cross, he still continued to choose the darkness. And he joined the crowd in mocking and heaping insults on Jesus. God's life for us is the hardest thing to receive because we love the darkness. But there's also more subtle or passive ways that we love the darkness. What are the things about yourself that you don't want anyone to know? What are the things that you don't want to tell your spouse and that you hide from your spouse? Or your parents? Or anyone who's close to you? You don't want them to see it. And we keep these things hidden because we're afraid that, and we know that bringing them to the light would mean that we're exposed for who we are. And the shame would, would crush us. And we're afraid that if we bring these things into the light, we'll be condemned by them. But here's what, makes, here's what makes the gospel such good news, is that this passage says that when we bring these things to Jesus, and when we believe in him, we find that we're not condemned. That's what the gospel is. That's what it says in verse 18. The only way to not be condemned is to come to him who is the light. But it can still come with a cost. So for example, I wonder what the cost of coming to Jesus might have been for Nicodemus, this man who came to Jesus at night. He was a man of the Pharisees. He was, he was part of the in crowd. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was highly educated and undoubtedly wealthy. He had a lot to lose. He was part of an elite establishment of people who were growing increasingly hostile to Jesus. And so what would happen to him if he embraced Jesus as one of his disciples? In fact, John records for us that even many of the Jewish authorities, like Nicodemus, were believing in Jesus, but that they were, not, they were, they were afraid to speak openly about Jesus. It would be very hard for Nicodemus and those like him to come into the light, lest their works be exposed and, be, and they be condemned by others. It wouldn't be easy to lose the approval of others and let go of the life they had. God's life for us is the hardest thing to receive because we love the darkness. And I think that's part of the reason why at the beginning of this episode in John 3 with Nicodemus, John points out that, Jesus, that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. John's showing us that Nicodemus loves the darkness. And that's where this scene ends in darkness. We're not told that Nicodemus and Jesus continued to talk through the night until the sun dawned with its morning light. Nicodemus doesn't get born again here. It ends in darkness of night just as it began. Nicodemus' story here ends as a tragedy. 
But if we read on, we'll find that this isn't the end of his story. It doesn't have to be the end of our story either. Because there's two times in the Gospel of John when Nicodemus comes to Jesus. The first is here in John 3, verse 2, when he came to Jesus at night. But the other time is recorded in John 19. It was a Friday, sometime in the afternoon, after Jesus had died. And the next day was Shabbat. And so the Jewish people were getting ready for it while it was still daylight, before sundown. And John tells us that Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, was given permission to bury Jesus. And in John 19.39, John writes, Nicodemus also, who had first come to Jesus at night, came too. So here's, here's, here's Dory's picture of the scene. And I don't know for sure, but I wonder if the two men pictured here are Joseph and Nicodemus. John says that Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes that was about 75 pounds in weight. And scholars point out that this quantity would be sufficient to bury a king. I expect that Nicodemus, as a, as a wealthy man, would have probably had servants to come help him carry all these supplies to bury Jesus during the light of day, the second time he came to him. But the first time he came at night... And John's very intentional to point this out here. And I think it's because John is showing us that Nicodemus came out of the darkness and into the light. That he came to see that Jesus was the Son of Man who was lifted up and that whoever believes in him is not condemned but has eternal life. I think Nicodemus here in this scene is living out the words of Jesus who said, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And he's showing that Nicodemus left his dark ways behind him. And as John 3.21 says, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So this wasn't, a, this wasn't Nicodemus showing off. This wasn't Nicodemus, um, this wasn't the old Nicodemus. This was God's new life in him. And these works were done so that they would be clearly seen that they were carried out by God. So I want to be really clear about something here. This act of Nicodemus was not his way of buying his salvation. There wasn't anything that Nicodemus could do There isn't anything that we can do to save ourselves. John isn't saying that we need to clean and clean up and fix our lives first in order to be saved and have eternal life. He's really clear that it's only by believing in what Jesus has done and that there's nothing that we can contribute to our salvation. It's entirely by Jesus. And that's why it's so easy because it's quite literally given to us freely. So John, is, he's simply pointing out the reason why people don't receive this life. They don't want it because they prefer the darkness instead. And we simply won't embrace the light if we love the darkness. So what about us? When we read John 3.16 about how God so loved the world, how do we receive it? 
Do we see ourselves as being lost in darkness? When we think of Jesus and remember how he was lifted up on a cross, do we see in him God's provision for us? By looking to and believing in him, will we receive the free offer of God's life for us? Will we throw off the darkness that that protects and hides us? Or will we see it for it is, for the way that it actually destroys us? Will we continue doing things our own way? Will we remain there out of fear of others or the consequences of what following Jesus might look like? Or will we, come, will we look to Jesus and see how God so loved the world? God's life for us is the easiest and the hardest thing to receive. It's not too late for us. Will we receive it? Or will our story be a tragedy? Let's pray. Our Father, it, 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 can, feel, it can feel like a, a dark message. It can feel like a dark truth that we love the darkness. But Lord, thank you for the light that shines, the hope that we have, how you so love the world that you gave us your Son. Father, give us the courage to turn from our darkness. Help us to see in Jesus your provision for us, to see in Jesus your love for us, Lord, thank you for how easy it is to receive. Thank you that it is freely given. May we see in Jesus your love and your provision for us that we may live.